Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to uh, be here. I consider it a real privilege, and I really mean that. So thank you uh, uh, to Pastor Ron, Mrs. Cisco. I'm uh, glad all of you could have me back. So a happy Father's Day to all the dads. Um, I hope you, yeah, give them a hand clap. Uh, I hope you get whatever it is that dads get on Father's Day, whether it's handkerchiefs or ties or socks probably a good meal thrown in. Um, I grew up without a dad because he passed away when I was really little, but there were a lot of good father figures that I found, especially in the church. And that's one of the uh, reasons I really value the church because I had uh, good male role models that were really intentional in kind of speaking into my life and encouraging me. So yeah, happy Father's Day to all the dads. Uh, our Bible text for today is in Romans chapter six. And we're looking at verses 12 uh, to 14. And if I get to a point where I'm kind of screaming or shouting too loud, just raise your hand and I'll know to, to just bring it down uh, a notch. But we're in Romans chapter 6 and verses 12 through 14. I've been reliably informed. Uh, the verse is up on the screen so you can follow along. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which I usually like to go to just for the sake of its simplicity and when I kind of want to get the big idea of what I'm looking at. So reading from uh, verses 12, it starts, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Then verse 14 reads, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. I read a rather interesting statement as I was preparing for this message. It was about two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, that points out how someone's thinking how what they think they know about themselves tends to impact or to influence their behavior. And I apologize for the stereotype in this statement or this article, but I didn't write it, but it reads, if you can get a woman to believe that she's not so beautiful, she will probably act as someone who is ashamed of her appearance. And if you can get a man to believe he's not so smart, he will probably act like someone who's not very intelligent. In the same way, if you can get a Christian to believe that they are hopeless in their fight against sin, they will likely act as someone who is without hope or as someone who is still bound by their sin. Basically, what's being said here is that what someone thinks they know about themselves tends to impact how they behave. And that's why when we go to our text for today, we find that it begins, in fact, when we look at the whole chapter, not just the text, 
it begins by trying to address our thinking, the way we think about ourselves as believers, as followers of Jesus. And so uh, the beginning of Romans chapter 6, which was beautifully read to us uh, by Taku this morning, is reminding the believer of her identity in Christ, of who we are once we come to believe in Jesus. And so commentators on this chapter look at the first 11 verses and they say it's very cognitive. In other words, the first 11 verses are trying to change our way of thinking before into explicitly giving us instructions on what to do and what not to do. And we can see what the text is trying to do when we take a look at verses 3, verses 6, verse 9, and we pay close attention to Paul's use of the word know, as in to know something in verse 3, 6, and 9, and also the word consider, which we find in verse 11. I think it should be in verse 10 as well. But uh, reading from the New International Version of the Bible, verse 3 starts, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And then verse 6 reads, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, that's Jesus, so that the body of sin might be done away with. Going on to verse 9, it reads, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. And by the time we get to verse 11, it's telling us to consider ourselves dead to sin. And of course, uh, the word consider means to carefully think about something. And so we can clearly see that what's happening here is that we are being reminded of our new identity in Jesus as believers. The reason Paul keeps repeating the word no is that he doesn't want us to forget the reality of our new identity. He also wants us to consider these things, which is to think carefully about them. Before we get to what exactly this new identity is, I would like to pose a question to each of us. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about yourself? Do you see yourself in terms of primarily in terms of your mistakes, your failures, your shortcomings, the mistakes you may have made this past week? Are these the first things that come to your mind when you think about who you are? What's interesting about this text is that we're being encouraged to think about ourselves in terms of our new identity in Jesus. We're being reminded that if a person is a believer, then that person has died with Christ and has also been united with Christ. What this means is that God has miraculously taken that person's belief and that person's faith in Jesus and counted that person as having died with Christ. And so that individual's old person is dead and gone and the new person has now come to life. And so as believers, 
as followers of Jesus, we are to receive this truth in our hearts and become convinced of it because as one person has put it, you cannot effectively live out and walk out what you do not know or what you do not really believe. And so living our new lives as followers of Jesus begins by knowing that in Christ, we're actually no longer what we used to be. We're a new person even though we're still living in an old body. And so I want to suggest to us that if we're seeking long-term change in behavior in our Christian walk, we need to have the right thinking about our new identity, about who we are now that we have come to know and believe in Jesus. However, this isn't just some kind of mental exercise. We're not left only to the power of just our thoughts and our feelings and some kind of positive thinking to try and convince ourselves that this is actually the truth. Scripture, God's word, has told us that God has given to believers in Jesus the Holy Spirit to build confidence in this truth in our hearts and to help us to actually live it out day by day. And so clearly, God helps us to overcome sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen to this, at the same time, we also have a part to play by actively walking and living in obedience to God's word. And so my primary focus for this morning will actually be the part that we play in our fight against sin. And what we're going to try and do is to look at our text today and try and pick out some negatives, some positives, and what we will call the explanation of why we are to live like this as believers and followers of Jesus. So I want to take us back to our text, Romans chapter 6, and we'll look at verses 12 and 13. So starting from verse 12, I want us to notice that it starts out with a whole bunch of negatives. That's what we call them. Verses 12 starts, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil. And what I want us to notice here is the tension that is implied in these negative statements. The Apostle Paul, the writer of this text, is saying to us, don't do this. Don't let sin, this inclination to go against what God wants, don't let this control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires, these desires that are in opposition to God's will. Don't let any part of your body become a tool for doing what is evil. And this repetition that we see here is reminding me of something that we do with the kids at the preschool where I work, uh, currently work part-time. And I'm in no way assuming that we're kids here, but there's a point I'm trying to get to, so please stick with me. So we use this repetition with the kids uh, when we repeat kind of negative instructions to them because we've come to notice that if we don't do this with the kids, they're kind of more likely to do what we don't want them to do. And so we often have to remind the kids, don't push each other. Don't just grab a toy from someone else. Don't put toys in your mouth, you'll get coronavirus. <laughs> don't bite other people. People don't like being bitten. Don't scratch other kids. It hurts when you do that. 
And so we've come to notice that reminding the kids does help them prevent them from doing these things. Or at least before they actually do it, they'll kind of pause for a moment to just look at you and to let you know that they actually know they're about to do something wrong. <laughs> and that's kind of just one side of it. We also try to give the kids positive instructions. We tell the kids, wash your hands, share your toys, greet your friends, and so on and so forth. And even when we look at our text today, we'll see both these positive and negative instructions that are being laid out to us by Paul. And so going back to our, our don'ts, when I see all these don'ts in the passage, it tells me that Paul is aware of this tendency in us, if we're not warned, of these things having a greater chance of taking hold of our lives. And so we should realize that even though we have this new identity in Jesus, even though we've been granted this new life, we find that sin, this tendency to go against God, will still try to take control of our lives if we take it for granted. And so there's this tension implied here. There's a struggle in these verses, a discomfort that we need to be aware of because the reality is walking in obedience to God Choosing to live by faith in a world that is in opposition to God's will will very often not be easy. Don't expect it to be easy. However, I don't want this to discourage us because the struggle with sin, our struggle with sin is in fact one indicator that we are indeed spiritually alive to God and not still dead in our sins. And so believers will experience this struggle, this fight against sin. We struggle and fight against its power. We desire to be completely free from it. However, often we may find ourselves under its influence. We find ourselves distrusting God's word. We find ourselves being hard-hearted, being prideful, being selfish, being cold and uncaring towards others. We may struggle to walk in humility and peace and joy. We may struggle to forgive others. We may struggle to find contentment in God who is our creator. And we struggle to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And yet we're being told in this text, don't let sin control the way you live. We'll get back to that in a moment. For now, the next thing I want us to move on to is the term mortal bodies, which is found in verse 12. And unfortunately, in the text I was reading from this morning in the New Living Translation, the term isn't actually there. But in what some might consider more accurate versions, the term mortal bodies or physical bodies is there. And it's a very important term because it carries with it a very significant idea. So the term mortal bodies is showing us that the struggle for control is going on in our physical bodies. It's going on in these perishable bodies of flesh. And so we find that the struggle for personal holiness will be fought in our bodies. And that's why uh, verses like Romans in chapter 7 from verses 22 to 23, and I'll read it from the Amplified Version of the Bible. Uh, you don't necessarily have to turn there, but you can go there. That's Romans 7, 22 to 23. In the Amplified Version, it says, uh, Paul is saying this, For I joyfully delight in the law of God in my inner self, 
with my new nature, but I see a different law and rule of action in the members of my body, in its appetites and desires, waging war against the law of my mind and subduing me and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is within my members. And so there's this struggle going on in our physical bodies. However, this also should not discourage the believer because the fact that this fight is going on in our mortal bodies, in our perishable bodies, means that this fight is not forever. And so if you're feeling exhausted this morning or weary or discouraged from your fight against sin, the implication here is that a day of rest is coming. And once the Lord returns and he gives us our glorified bodies, this fight with sin will forever be done away with. In his excellent message on this text, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the preacher from long ago, he points out how there's nothing really wrong with our physical bodies in the sense that They've been given to us by God, and even our desires, these are good things and have been designed and created by God. And that's why verses like 1 Corinthians 19 say things like, Oh, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. That's in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 to 20. So my point is, our bodies are good things that have been given to us by God. However, these very good things that God has blessed us with, anything good actually that God has blessed us with, can become sinful when we allow it to get out of control. And so this should be a clear reminder to us of sin's tendency to corrupt anything good that God gives us. For example, God can give us the good gift of relationships and our desire for love. But when we get out of control, it can become an unhealthy dependence on people instead of a reliance on God. Our desire for financial stability, which is a good thing, can lead to greed and selfishness when it gets out of control. Our desire for social approval can lead to overwork and stress and even depression. So when we let these things get out of control, they grow into unhealthy desires that tend to control our lives and become toxic, even though they may be good things that God has blessed us with. And that's why when we move on to the second part of verse 12, it clearly spells out to us that we're not to give in to these sinful desires. And some versions uh, translate that as lust or these over desires, but the idea is the same. Because these things seek to compete with God's first place in our hearts and in our lives. I want us to now move on to the positive instructions uh, that we see in our text. I did tell you that we, uh, the kids at my preschool, we'll give them negative and positive instructions, right? So now let's move on to our positive instructions. We see that Paul lays out some positives or things that we must do or put into action in our lives. In the second half of verse 13, uh, Paul says, give yourselves completely to God. He also goes on to say, use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right 
for the glory of God. And so these are two positive instructions indicating to us things that we must do. So we must make a conscious decision to do these things, to give ourselves to God and to use our bodies to do what is right. These are not things that will just happen automatically or all on their own. We need to be intentional and purposeful and thoughtful in this giving of ourselves to God and putting our bodies to positive use for the glory of God. Practically speaking, this might mean that we start living in a way that shows our new identity. It means we start talking in a way that builds others up. We start thinking in a way that is constructive. We start doing things that reflect God's character. We make time for fellowship with people that build us up and who we can encourage in the faith and who can encourage us as well. These are practical ways in which we can live out this truth in our lives. Now, moving on to verse 14 of uh, Romans chapter 6, we're given an explanation or the reason as to why we are to live this way as believers. It says in that verse, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So we're told here, sin is no longer your master. So even though we may struggle with sin, sin can no longer dominate us like it did before. It no longer has the same power over us that it used to have before. When we come to believe in Jesus, when we truly come to see what he's done for us and how much he loves us, when that sinks into our hearts and lights on fire, sin begins to lose its appeal. It loses its attraction and its power over our lives is weakened. We can never view sin the same way once we've caught a clear view of Jesus. And that's why we were encouraged to think about what Jesus has done for us, to know that we're in fact united with him and to reflect or meditate on these things. Finally, the last part of verse 14 says to us, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And so we're being told that as believers, we no longer live under the requirements of the law. One of the things this means is that we no longer strive to keep God's law in order to make ourselves acceptable to God. To be under the law is basically seeking acceptance before God through obeying his commands to us. A person that lives under the law struggles and works and labors to obey God's word, but his experience is full of pressure and disappointment and frustration and discouragement because God's standard is just way too high. And so when a person living under the law takes an honest look at themselves, they will constantly feel unacceptable to God because they are bearing the burden of living a perfect life. Not so with the believer. She is dead to the requirements of the law. Jesus has lived the perfect life in place of the believer. 
And so I came across a story that illustrates how living under the law makes us subject to its power. And this is a story that actually happened. It was in the Washington Post dated 8th November uh, of last year, 2019. And it's about a convict named Benjamin Schreiber who actually claims that he died. So it reads, and I'll paraphrase here, Benjamin Schreiber, who is very much alive right now, claims that he died four years ago. What happened is that this convicted murderer collapsed in his prison cell and doctors had to restart his heart about five times. After the incident and while he was recovering in prison, Schreiber filed a very interesting legal appeal. He claimed that because he died before he was revived by the doctors, he had technically fulfilled his life sentence in prison. <laughs> because of this, and according to Schreiber, he was being held in prison illegally. <laughs> However, the district court judge wasn't convinced. The judge said, the fact that Schreiber was able to file a petition for his release actually proves that he's, he's still alive. <laughs> a court in Iowa said the 66-year-old convict will remain in prison until a medical examiner determines that he is dead for good. <laughs> One judge wrote, Schreiber is either alive, in which case he must remain in prison, or he is dead, in which case he cannot personally make an appeal. Judges also ruled that Schreiber couldn't have it both ways, claiming to be dead as far as the law of the land, and at the same time wanting to go on with living his normal life. And so Schreiber, as we can see, was very much under the law of the land because the judges were convinced that he was still alive, and of course he was still alive. But this is not the case for the believer in Jesus. With regards to God's law, Romans 6 verse 14 says, you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. The believer is dead to the law. It no longer has legal power over us. It cannot be used to judge and condemn us to hell. Colossians 3.3 says, you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Romans 7, 4 reminds us, therefore, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. And so here's the million dollar idea. This means that as Christians, we can fight sin in our lives without fear of the law and without fear of God's righteous judgment. Yes, God may discipline us when we sin, and he may even discipline us very severely, but that is a totally different thing from being under God's righteous judgment. And so that means that on the final day, when God comes to judge the world of sin, we will be saved from God's righteous judgment, not because of our good works, but if we trust in Jesus. It means we are standing under the grace and love of God. We are covered by Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. And so Paul is saying to us, if you're a Christian, you are under God's undeserved mercy. When God looks down on us, he doesn't look down on us with anger because we are covered by Christ's death. 
And so in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our flaws, in spite of our shortcomings and imperfections, God has shown us his love by sending Jesus to die for us. And not even when we were good people, but according to scripture, when we were enemies of God. Paul knows that when we understand this, when we truly grasp this and this sinks into our hearts, it will affect the way we live. It will make sin less interesting to us. At the same time, it will give us a mercy towards others when they sin against us. Sin loses its appeal in our hearts and we begin to want to strive for righteousness, not so we can gain God's love or so that we can gain salvation, but because we want to live out this new identity in Christ that has been gifted to us. And so my hope is that we will know this truth in our hearts, that we will consider it to be true, and that even as we go out to fight sin, we will remember the powerful words of Romans 6.14, which says, Indeed, sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word that reminds us, God, that we are covered by the sacrifice of your son. We are covered by the sacrifice of Jesus. And this truth, when it lights up in our hearts, it gives us the strength and the, the resilience and the tenacity to keep fighting the sin in our lives so that we can live the new identity that has been granted to us in Jesus. I pray, God, that this reality may be a truth for everyone that is here and everybody else that's watching online. For the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.